0: Okay, if you will, this morning, thank you for being here. But turn with me to Psalm 8, Psalm 8. We are continuing our series through the Psalms uh, this summer. And for the next several weeks, we'll be looking at God's Word in the Psalms. And, And what I love about studying the Psalms is that even in ancient Israel, before they even knew the name of Jesus Christ or who He would be, They knew that God made a promise and that He was sending a Messiah. And we see that hope of salvation all through the Psalms. And they sing praises to the Lord for the covenant that He has made. And that covenant involves, I promise I will redeem this sinful world. And so the hope of salvation is what saves us. Whether we understand the name Jesus Christ or not, historically, before Christ was born, God still pointed to those who had hope in the promise as that was their salvation. That's what faith in Christ means. Yes, now on our time of history after Christ, we have less excuse because we know who the Messiah is. We know who the Son of God is. We have seen historically the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. So we have less excuse than those who came before Christ. But even then, they had faith that God's promise would be fulfilled. And we're going to see that in the Psalms. If you can, stand with me as we read Psalm 8. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. A psalm of David, it says. As David sings, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all, sh- all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, this wonderful song of David is singing praises to the reality of our created order. Father, you've created all that there is. All that we know in reality is come from you as you spoke it. And this wonderful hymn that David writes gives you glory and praise for that. And in the process, Father, we as human beings who are created, Father, we are, there's even glory there. Not our glory, but the glory of you in us, in this place. But Lord, I also thank you that even though Adam fell from that original intent of glory, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be that new Adam and to have dominion over the earth in ways that we could never fathom. And for that, Lord, we praise You and we thank You. Speak to us in Your Word. Teach us what this wonderful hymn means. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. and Amen. Have a seat. Psalm 8 is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm that praises the Lord, and it's actually a... a uh, a strong theme here of Genesis. Do y'all see that as you're, as you're hearing the words of Psalm 8? There's a strong emphasis of the Genesis story of creation and God placing mankind in dominion over the earth to care for it, to be good stewards of the earth. But ultimately why God establishes us with that place of order in the creation is that we would bring glory to God. Man and woman, we have been given the unique a gift of being God's priest kings in this world to bring glory to the Lord in this theater of God's creation. You ever heard that language before? So if anyone ever asks the question, why are we here? You know, how many people ponder that? How many people you talk to who wander around aimlessly with no purpose in life and they just say, I don't know what life is about and I just don't, I just, I'm lost. You have a really easy answer. You have been created in God's image to bring him glory. Even if you can't figure out a job or you can't figure out a career, at least you can be taught and take comfort in the fact, I am created to bring God glory. I am His creation. I am made in His image. And my purpose is to bring glory to God in this created world. Amen? And that's what Psalm 8 is pointing to. This is a psalm of praise. It is a psalm of of singing uh, after a victory. Verses 1 and 2 of Psalm, eight kind of point to this. It is very uh, very likely and and most obvious here that this psalm was sung, it was composed after a victory of some kind. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength." because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So these first two uh, verses here clearly point to the the majesty of our God in relation to the fact that He has held up Israel and His people after battle. You see that? Now, some... some, commentators of, of, of ancient times and even in more modern times, they speculate that perhaps David uh, was writing this maybe after the fall of uh, Goliath, possibly. I mean, it's speculation. There's nothing here in the text to indicate specifically who it was for. Um, but it's very, uh, there's, we won't go into a lot of the details of why people think that, but it's, it's, it's possible. But it's speculation. But regardless, we know this psalm is a psalm of praise, of giving glory to the Lord because He has delivered the enemies into the hands of His people. Now, uh, there's a primary... There's actually two themes here as you read this wonderful psalm, Right? One theme that is pretty obvious in this psalm, especially in relation to the Genesis narrative of creation, is that the greatness of God is seen in the greatness of His creation, but more specifically in the greatness of humanity, the greatness of mankind. That is a theme that's pretty obvious, the greatness of God through the greatness of man. Now, it's interesting here that we see this theme, that what happened this weekend? Anybody been paying attention to the news? We have been remembering the great accomplishments of the United States of getting man to the moon. Right? Uh, How many people were born when that happened? How many people were alive? Y'all remember that, where you sit in front of the TV? That's what I've been told. Now, I was one year old that day. July 20th, 1968 was when I was born, and they landed on the moon in 1969. Now, I don't know. Maybe I was sitting in front of the TV eating birthday cake or something. I don't know what was going on. All I know is that my entire childhood, July 20th was important because it was my birthday, but I was famous, and I was important because my birthday felt on the day that man stepped on the moon. Now, when you're a child, that goes only so far with your friends. You know, you can persuade your friends with that for so long, but after they get wise to it, they just kind of blow you off, Right. But what is it? This, this moon landing has been celebrated, I think justly so, as a great accomplishment of human ingenuity and human drive. We as human beings can do a lot of things. We have, if we put our minds to it, we have the creativity, we have the intellect, we have the gift of reason. We can make things that do not exist. Because God has given us the creative ability to do so. Just as God has created all that there is, mankind also has the ability to create. The only difference is that God creates ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. God can create something out of nothing. We don't have that power. We can create a lot of things out of things. We can take material things and create things out of that. If it doesn't exist... If we imagine it, we can build it, right? No other creature on the planet can do that. We have been given God's gift of creation, and that's partly what this psalm is singing praises about. But now this theme of the greatness of God through the greatness of humankind is a theme in this psalm, but I think it's a secondary theme. If we look at this psalm, there is a primary theme that is more important than our ability to create and give glory to the Lord. There is a primary theme that the greatness of God is through the greatness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the primary theme here. And you're thinking, scratching your head going, where in the world, pastor, does this psalm talk about Jesus Christ? Well, hold on. We're going to see this here in just a second. Martin Luther says this about this psalm. He says, "...the prophecy concerning Christ, concerning His passion, concerning His resurrection, and His dominion over all creatures is the primary theme of this psalm. Other great uh, scholars and, and thinkers of, of biblical ideas and, and Christianity, also, many, many thinkers see the same thing here. And what I want to bring out here is where we see this. The New Testament authors, uh, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, the writer of Hebrews, and, and Paul in First Corinthians, they all reference this, this psalm in relation to Jesus Christ as the new Adam, Now, let's take a look at some of this. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Now, obviously, verses 3 and 4 here of Psalm 8 really points to a reality of when we look up into the stars, into the heavens, and we see the beautiful glory of God's creation, how do you feel? about that big, right? You ever really saw a beautiful starry night at nighttime and the vastness of the sky and you just lay there underneath that canopy of God's finger painting and setting up the lights and the stars and you think, wow. Amen? Amen? Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. See, God has placed man at the pinnacle of his creation. But in looking at verse 3, the psalmist here shows our humility in relation to God's creation. Verse 4, what is man that you're mindful of him? He says this in verse 4 in relation to verse 3, when we look at everything that you have done, dear God, who am I? Who are we as human beings in the face of God's glory? Isn't that humbling? Isn't that humbling? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's interesting here that it's not just that man is humble, that man is somehow weaker and less than God. It's the, fa- the glory here is that God, as awesome and as majestic as He is, as verse 1 says, He is mindful of us in verse 4. You ever pondered that? Just the fact that God is mindful of us he 's thinking about us, he considers us we have never lost his attention in relation to the majestic glory of his creation. Wow now you can become very arrogant in this. I am god's favorite. anybody here ever been the favorite in your family? has anyone been ever been told by their parents that did your parents tell you that you're the favorite Chelsea <laughs> You just knew. Chelsea is confessing. She knew that she was the favorite. Excellent. Right? Now, how far did that humility go, Chelsea? See the point? We can, if we're not careful, when we read this psalm, and I think rightly so, we are in the, the hierarchy of the created order at the top. Despite what many humanists and environmentalists say who want to really tear down human achievement and say that we are the worst thing for the planet and the planet would be better without mankind, I say in God's Word the exact opposite. God has placed us here at the top of the created order. Now, whoever's listening to this on our podcast uh, who do not agree with me, give me a call. We'll chat. Because right here in verse 3 and 4, there is actually an attitude of humility here about humanity that God, who is so majestic and so glorious and so great, He is mindful of us. Now, in relation to all of the living creatures on this planet, think about it. Even though humanity is at the top of the food chain, per se, in a lot of ways, we're not. How many of us would be at the top of the food chain when a majestic lion comes and finds us? Or a grizzly bear in the woods, or a mama black bear if you try to mess with her cubs? There's a lot of animal creatures in this planet who are very much stronger than we are, and they can do us a lot of harm. So in that aspect, physically, we could argue that we are not the greatest of all creatures because there are creatures that God has made on this planet that are definitely stronger than we are physically, and they're faster than us. How many animals can you chase down and catch? Very, very few. So is it that man is lower than the animals, lower than the created order, or at the top? I think very clearly we see here that we are at the top, but why are we at the top? Primarily in verse 4, it's because God Himself is mindful of us. He made us in His image to be His glory in this world. But look here at the end of verse 4. This is the interesting part. Verse 4 actually points to two different types of... Of man here. Verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? That's you and me. And the son of man that you care for him. Now, this, it's an interesting phrase here that the, that David uses. He uses who is man and then who is the son of man? He speaks in verse 4 of what is man as as plural. All of humanity. That you are mindful of them, you could almost say. But then it goes very specific here to a singular, and the son of man, that you care for him. Who is that? Now, clearly, we are, you know, all of the sons of Adam have also been called in Scripture the sons of man. That is a very common phrase. But I think when we look at this a little bit deeper, we're going to see that, that that David here is singing something that is prophetic to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus cites this wonderful uh, psalm in Matthew 21, in particular when it relates to His, uh, his love for children. Matthew 21. Verse 16, well, actually, uh, Matthew 21, beginning in verse 12, and then we'll read through verse 17. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and look at, underline this in verse 15, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Doesn't that sound like a bunch of church people when the children actually want to praise the Lord? They say, Shh! Amen? Look at what look what happened. I mean this is you see this biblically? You see what's happening? Now it's one thing to teach our children the proper way to worship and the proper way to sit in service. We teach children this. But notice what's happening here. The scribes and the chief priests are not happy that children are crying out in the temple, hosanna to the son of David. They were singing praises in the temple. How scandalous. And Jesus' reply to this after purging the temple of all corruption, when he sees the chief priests and the scribes going after the children, here's what Jesus says, continuing in verse 16. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? So they're pointing to Jesus, don't you see what these children are doing? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read Psalm 8 verse 2? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. That's not an exact wording here of verse 2 that we just read in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says, Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes. And Jesus is reading it a little bit differently here. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Now part of this is that we are reading Matthew written in the Greek, and he is most likely citing the Septuagint here, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew that Psalm 8 would have been written in. But even Jesus is adding to it here a little bit, pointing to the truth of Psalm 8 verse 2 and saying, and telling these holier-than-thou religious leaders, even David pointed to the glory of out of the mouths of babes. They sing praises. You see that? Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to see where Paul talks about this man that God is mindful of and the Son of Man that you care for Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you ever want to study how to articulate the gospel, if you are interested in Christian apologetics and how to defend the faith, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is rich and how do we describe the gospel to people who don't understand it? And Paul actually references a little. He, he hints at. Let me just say he doesn't reference directly Psalm 8, but he hints at many of the themes here. As, as, as Paul writes here um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20, What Paul's going to point out here is we have to understand what it means, what what resurrection means, right? And that, that was a very contentious doctrine in the Old Testament and also the New Testament. And is it true? Is it, is it legitimate or is it heresy? And what does this look like? And especially in relation to Jesus Christ, this doctrine of resurrection became very problematic. And Paul here is clearing up some misunderstandings in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. What does Paul mean here in verse 22 in mean 21, right? What does he mean in verse 21? For as by a man came death, right? Adam and Eve, Adam and his fall from grace brought death into this created world. Right? For as by a man came death, he continues in verse 21, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, as he also referred to often, is he is the one who is going to conquer this death that Adam, the first man, ushered into creation, and Jesus Christ, the final Adam, the perfected man, is now going to bring resurrection to light. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see the difference there? You've got two different... References to man here. You've got those who are in the uh, under the curse of Adam. That's all of us. That's the form of man that we have been born into. We have been we inherit. We are born into the curse of Adam. We are born under the model of Adam. We are the man, the Adam man. But the gospel says that Jesus Christ is the new Adam. For as, in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He's making a comparison here between Adam and Christ. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Pointing to the future coming of Christ, and he will come. It is guaranteed. 1 Corinthians 15 points to that. Now, let's continue on in 1 ver- in Corinthians 15 and, and Let's go drop down to verse 45. Drop down to verse 45. Paul writes this, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Jesus Christ is this last Adam. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of Adam. Of the man of heaven. I'm sorry, the man of heaven. You see this? This understanding of the condition of mankind, there are there are two ways to see this. We have the flesh we are born of, the dust of the earth, like Adam was, but then there is the spiritual side when we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ we now can participate in the perfected Adam, the second Adam that comes from heaven. And then that is what the psalmist in Psalm 8, verse 4, I think is hinting at. When he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? There is a double meaning there, that not only does God, is He mindful of us in our sinful birth of dirt, but he is also mindful of the Son of Man that He cares for us. And the way He cares for us is to send the ideal Son of Man, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. And all of this is pointing to Christ. You see that? And all of this is singing praises to Lord and His majestic name in all of the earth. Jesus Christ, who is sent by God to be man. Christ is God incarnate taking on humanity, stepping into the human condition and being us, is also through his resurrection from the grave, granted the highest name above all names and granted the highest dominion over all that can be given. And he is now, everything is now at the feet of Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 8, verse 5. Let's go back there. David writes in Psalm 8 verse 5, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or the King James Version says, you have made him a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. Now verse 5 of Psalm 8 has been a point of contention as far as how do we interpret this. Scholars debate back and forth when they read the Hebrew, the original Hebrew that the psalm was written in, and then they compare it to the Septuagint that was the Greek translation of all of the psalms, and they battle back and forth about what is meant here. And I've actually heard some teachings in recent times Uh, on this verse in a way that is so wrong and so heretical that I had to do some studies on it several years ago in order to come back against it with the proper way of, of order and understanding this, because the way some people who do not understand Hebrew and Greek look at Psalm 8 verse 5, they will come away with a wrong interpretation and put things in the wrong created hierarchy which can lead to a dangerous, dangerous conclusion. Can you uh, hold on to me? Hold on with me here, right? I'm trying not to be a uh, theology professor. I'm trying to help us understand and interpret this text. David says here in verse 5, talking about God, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or like the King James says, lower than the angels. Now, where does this come from? The problem we've got here in verse 5 is that the Hebrew word that is translated heavenly beings or angels is actually the Hebrew word Elohim. Where do we know the word Elohim from? That is another name for God. Now, if you do not understand the grammar of the Hebrew then you're going to read verse 5 in Psalm 8 and say, "No, wait a minute, the, 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 the English people mistranslated this because they look at the word Elohim and that should be, yet you have made him a little lower than God rather than a little bit lower than the angels. You see the problem? That's a, that's a shifting in the hierarchy. Are we? Is mankind a little lower than God or a little lower than the angels? You see that that's an important shift there. Is Jesus Christ the Son of Man, who comes? Is He lower than God, or is he lower than the angels? What is going on here? That's just where this can be a problem. Because if you misinterpret this text, and this is how it has been taught, if you say, well, Elohim means God, and the translators got it wrong, then what you are saying is that you and I as human beings are higher than the angels. And the angels are below us. Where does that lead? That we control the spiritual realm... And the angels have to obey us. You see the problem? The problem here in Psalm 8 verse 5 is that from ancient times, this translation has really implied, yet you have made him a little lower than the angels or the heavenly beings. The word Elohim in the Hebrew, yes, is often used for God. But it is also used repeatedly to reference divine beings, plural. So is Elohim in the Hebrew here singular or plural? Most scholars will say Elohim here is in the plural. So if if that's correct, are we talking about many gods, are we talking about One God, what are we talking about here? So the proper translation is you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings or the angels. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, actually uses the word in Greek that we get for angel, not God. So here's a little bit of translation theory here for you, that if translations are not correct... You can lead to a very dangerous doctrine. See where we are? Now, those who claim the King James only folks, and the King James is always right, they, you know, if they looked at this, they would actually have a pretty good argument because the King James says that we are made a little lower than the angels. That's what the King James says. So kudos to King James Version. Now, how do we, how can we compare this as well? Flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. If you you do nothing more than just in the the margin of your Bible, write Psalm 8, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through (laughs) 9. Okay? The writer of Hebrews that I will argue is Paul or perhaps uh, his cohort writing in Paul's voice. This is, the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews is clearly Pauline in influence and Pauline in structure. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse, let's start in verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Here's the warning not to drift away from the gospel truthful teaching. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you were mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Sound familiar? Psalm 8. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, What Paul is citing here in uh, in verses 6 through
1: 8,
0: he is actually citing the Septuagint. The Septuagint would have been his King James Version or his ESV Version of the Hebrew Bible. So whenever we see a discrepancy in the Old Testament versus the citations of the Old Testament in the New Testament, the, the differences there are clearly the Old Testament is in Hebrew, the New Testament quotations are in the Septuagint in Greek. So you're going to see a little bit of, of differences there simply because of translation. And that's what's happening here. But we can use this as support for an understanding of what the original Hebrew meant in Psalm 8 verse 5. Now, in, in Hebrews 2 verse 7, you made him for a little while. That phrase, for a little while, is seems like an addition to what is in the Old Testament. But in the Septuagint, that was necessary in order uh, to clarify the understanding of the text. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. This is pointing directly to the, uh, or the, or the descent of Jesus Christ from heaven. You have now made him a little lower than the angels to be a man for a little while. You see the difference in how do we see this? Because Paul describes it as such, if you keep reading uh, verses 8 and 9. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. See that in verse 9? Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So, if you want to understand Psalm 8, just read these verses in Hebrews chapter 2. Paul does a great job here of explaining the meaning of the psalm. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? So those teachers in the church who claim that there was a misinterpretation in Psalm 8 verse 5, that we as human beings are made just a little lower than God, but we're more powerful than the angels, are totally, totally wrong. Totally wrong because Paul in Hebrews chapter 2 tells them so. We are, this is not talking about us at all. It's talking about Jesus Christ Himself. Psalm 8 verse 5 is speaking about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Himself descended from heaven and was made lower than the angels for a little while. In our level of created order so that he could then ascend back to where he belonged and have more power and more authority than anyone could ever
1: imagine.
0: Even though that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have power and authority. It just means because of this, he now rises in even greater power and even greater authority as he comes and cares for us human beings. He cares for us in his death and his resurrection Now, I'm preaching too long today, guys. I apologize. Go back to Psalm 8, and we're going to wrap this up. Y'all still okay? Y'all still okay? All right. I don't see anybody falling asleep, so maybe we are okay. Let's go back to Psalm verse 8, if I can find it again. I just lost my place. There we go, Psalm 8. Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So it's interesting here that God does not abandon us and ignore us and forget us. God here literally, as He crowns Jesus Christ with glory and honor, as the new Adam, as the new, the new human. Model for what we are to be. Jesus Christ is the perfect man. He is the perfect Son of God. And we in Christ emu- seek to emulate that in our lives as well. As God crowns Jesus Christ with glory and honor, He likewise adorns and crowns us in the same manner. God loves mankind enough. He sees how how depraved and miserable and vile we really are, yet He crowns us with His glory. Isn't that amazing? You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Another way of seeing this is all things in subjection to him. All things on this earth are under our care, but all things on this earth are in subjection to Jesus Christ as God ordains. All sheep and oxen, in verse 7, and all beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. All things are under man's dominion, but ideally in the perfect Adam, all of the created order. It's not just under dominion, but under subjection. What does it mean to be a subject to a majesty, to a king, to a one who has been crowned with glory? To be in subjection to that type of authority implies royalty, which implies sovereignty. Jesus Christ is crowned with the sovereignty of the Father, and we are merely His subjects. And he closes out here in verse 9, just as he opened in verse 1 of Psalm 8. Because of all this, we can sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen. Now that majesty is reflected through humanity. But as we are vile and miserable and fallen, God sends the perfect Adam, the new Adam in Christ that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians 15, and through him, all things are put back in its proper order. And that's the majesty. And that's the glory. And that's why God and the Lord Jesus Christ have a name that is majestic and is above all names in all the earth. Is that not worthy of singing? Amen? Amen. Amen. Caleb, please come on up. Let's close in prayer. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is our Master. He is our Lord. And dear Father God, we thank You for that truth of Your gospel. We thank You, dear God, for all that You provide when we have failed. And God, Your Word is so rich and so beautiful as we sing praises for that. And I pray this morning, dear Lord, that as You love us, And You're mindful of us, that our connection through Jesus Christ brings us so much closer to You. We pray, Father God, that You would honor us with Your presence so that we can sing praises. We thank You, dear God, that even the littlest ones, as this psalm says, through the mouths of babes, all glory comes. And as Jesus Christ rebukes the, uh, spirit, the religious authorities who were trying to shush the praises of the children, that you would remind us that your creation will sing praises to your glory no matter what. And so, God, I pray that this morning we would love you in song and that You would, dear God, be pleased with us. Shape us, dear Lord, we pray, in the model of the new Adam, Your Son, Jesus Christ. Continue to take us out of that old, fleshly, dirt Adam and continue to grow us and make us new in the spiritual reality of the new Adam, Jesus Christ. And may we Have dominion over the earth, not for ourselves, but through your glory, and to give you that rightful glory. Love us, Father, we pray, and forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for failing to match up to this expectation that you have of us. Only through your mercy did you send Jesus Christ, and through your grace. We are forgiven. Please be with us as we close this time of praise and worship. Speak to our spirits now, right now, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.
1: Stand and sing. Be page five. sings my soul.